Alright, welcome back to Chasing Function. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got it wrong! Oh my god. No longer yeah. Root Solution Learning to Control the Basics. Is that what it was? I That's what it, I think. I don't even know. Yeah. But Chasing Function is much better. Yeah. People seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, welcome everybody to our next attempt yeah. at Insta Reels. Uh, we're yeah. feeling pretty cool. Not only did we get a good episode out, but the gentleman who made the original reel commented and listened to our show. Yeah. So we were fanboying pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Um, feeling kind of special and kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to keep going with this. Um, Kai, you ready? Oh, yeah. Play yeah. that shit. DJ, remix it. Hey, yo. Gotta find it. Oh my god, Kai. I have a hard time with these boundaries, and for people who call themselves empaths, it's actually the same childhood experience. It's that in childhood, you've got an unpredictable adult. And that unpredictable adult, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, presents enough of a risk to you that you have to be hyper-attuned. Because every move they make or don't make has some implication for yourself. So, what a lot of people don't like learning about empaths is that because of this traumatic type of a childhood experience, they learn how to pay hyper-attention and hyper-attuned to anything in the room that is not okay. That's why you're never going to meet somebody who's got this thing going, who's like, you know, I just love being around people because I feel amazing. Because they're going to walk in the room and instead of attuning to the person who's happy, they're going to attune to the person who's got the issue. Because that's where the risk is. In case you want to know why empaths always feel like that's why. People who Yeah. So uh that's a lot. Yeah. Um lots to talk about here. So for me, um, like immediately, first thing that comes to mind is earlier podcasts as we constantly Ooh. throw it back. Uh in earlier podcasts I had talked a lot about how I believe that everybody has empathic ability. Mm-hmm. Right, and that the reality of empath is that we dull our nervous system around uh, the sensories to make it problematic for us to continue being empath- empathetic or have em- that empath ability. And I had to tell stories about my children in regards to that, and other children I had been around that like have a keen attachment to uh, how everybody feels. Um, this puts a spin on that that's really interesting. So this continues and furthers that idea that everyone has that ability as an empath Mm -hmm. but it directly relates it to trauma Mm -hmm. which I actually think is a really interesting concept Um, think about it with kids little little T's are kind of big T's right so like small amounts of trauma are going to give feedback loops that are bigger Mm -hmm. because frankly one they're Kids are more vulnerable yeah. to, to potential harm because, frankly, they're just smaller. And then, two, because they don't know how to quantify or draw perspective around trauma, right? If I get in a car accident, it's easy for me as an adult to put perspective around, like, well, I've driven hundreds and thousands of miles and I had one accident and that sucked. But odds are it won't happen again. It's pretty tough to offer that same perspective to a kid. And so this idea that kids that have developed tools around trauma that is harmful Mm -hmm. means that they have this really ramped up like sensory response to 
you know, people around them that are potentially scary. Yeah. Um, that is crazy to me. It's really interesting to me just because it's a new perspective I'd never really considered. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the whole, like, from zero to eight, you don't have a conscious. Right. You don't get to decide what comes in and what goes out. So it's like, if somebody has a traumatic experience like that between those ages, they their nervous system responds in a way that is going to keep them safe, right? Because right. that's the whole purpose of that. So then they create this, like... Tool, res- right? Yeah, response tool to look out for the, the most uh, dangerous thing to them in their environment. Right. So then they figure out, like, hey, if I go into this room, who's, who's, it, who's the one that's going to be the most dangerous to me? Yeah. And then they, they grow up and, and they don't really have that conscious awareness of, like, that's what I'm doing. But every time they go into a room, their heart races, their blood, their blood pressure rises, and they're like, okay, who's, who's in here that's not good for me? Or not right. good for my my nervous system or whatever. So that's yeah. I mean, it blew me away to listen to that, but it also got me thinking about my my own like response to being in a room full of people, right? right. Like I'm, you know me. I'm not super outgoing, but when I get into a space, I like observe, and I'm like, okay, who in here is like. And, and it goes, like, with different personalities, but also, like, who's dangerous here? Who do I have to worry about? Well, in my experience with you, what I've always seen is that you're, you survey a room and then you do become outgoing, mm-hmm. right? So, like, initially, whenever you meet people, you can it's quick to see you evaluating and, like, creating some sort of formulation around your thought process. And then you actually become pretty outgoing, mm-hmm. though dry and dad jokey. <laughs> but still, like you still end up being pretty outgoing. People that really know you mm-hmm. are like, oh, he's easy to open up to. He's easy to talk to. It's really easy to like connect to Kai. I mean, those are all very like, like outgoing type responses. But it's your initial intake mm-hmm. that is your mechanism for protection right like i'm going to intake what's around me i'm going to survey i'm going to evaluate risk and then i'm going to show myself once that risk has been assessed and i feel safe yeah right which is not uncommon i think some people struggle with that next step Mm -hmm. right because you always see people that are just different in different environments and so their ability to really assess quickly becomes problematic and then they may struggle with gaining trust mm. around that room right and so you know i for me personally i i connect to this in that um i had a lot of thing i have a lot of things i do to this day that i don't even realize i do mm. that are based around physical trauma mm. like um passive aggressive behavior can be really triggering for me because typically the passive behavior passive aggressive behavior started and then the hitting happened, right? Mm. So like when I was talking with my ex-wife about like my behavior, she's always like, you're really closed off and you really like, I have a hard time like getting into you. You feel like there's a wall up, which is weird because like clearly communicatively, I don't have an issue. Mm -hmm. But her response was passive aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. In nature because that's how her parents communicated. And so her tools around communication were passive aggressive. It didn't make him good or bad. It just for me was problematic, right? And so 
it's interesting because we we've talked about trauma intersects with interactions right yeah. and so a conversation that we have had earlier which we want to talk about in a podcast at some point i guess it's a great place to kind of unravel that is this theory of that like when we have altercations and with people whether it be physical or nonverbal or verbal or whatever else it's realistically a trauma intersect and in my case you know someone gets passive aggressive with me and it doesn't really matter who it is Mm -hmm. and my natural response is to shut down and so again passive aggressive behavior isn't necessarily bad or good right like it just is what it is it's just problematic for me yeah now if you're somebody who's passive aggressive in your communication pattern and you believe that that's good communication which it can be and my response is to be stoic and closed off and then that triggers a behavior in you because typically people that use passive aggressive behavior are looking for stimulus and response right and so me being closed off is now problematic and Mm -hmm. traumatic for that person because their stimulus they're looking for they don't get which drives a somatic error which starts that cycle around you know anxiety right and so this idea of trauma intersects gets created at a young age according to this young lady in the in the reel in that we build out trauma intersects with trauma at a young age Mm -hmm. which then gets substantiated as we get older and in the wild yeah and that's a really interesting concept that I think it's really deep, right? Because now, I mean, that that young adaptive age where we really haven't developed much of who we are, yeah. right? According to Freud, that id, right? We haven't developed that out. So therefore, like, we're building tools and behavioral patterns that are going to become trauma intersects in the future. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I think it's going back to our other podcast, the trauma and tools. <laughs> right. Um, I think that's... A, that's where it becomes important as parents, right? Is like and like I don't I don't have the answer for this, but it's like understanding when that trauma happens and how they respond and then teaching that's like a teaching moment for the parents, right? Like, right. hey, when this happens, but then, you know, it goes to the parents, like have the parents work through that and develop that tool. So it kinda goes both ways, right? Um, when that's trauma intersect at a young age, right? Yeah. And the tra- the idea behind trauma intersect is that it, it doesn't have to be substantiated between lovers, right? Mm-hmm. It can be interactions between parents and kids, yeah. friends, coworkers, yeah. like siblings, siblings yeah. like, right? Like it, your trauma can be someone else's yeah. trauma, right? Yeah. And I also think, and this is going down more of a rabbit hole, but like that's how generational trauma 100%. happens, right? Like that's why or I think, I speculate that that's how, like, uh, girls become their mothers and guys become their dads because that's how they grow up learning how to deal with altercations, with trauma, with stimulus, all that kind of stuff. So it's like they're trying to fight for the love of that person. So it's like, oh, I'm going to act like them so then I can be loved by them, right? right? But then that goes into a whole other how they perceive love, like, whatever. But... The one thing that I was thinking about as well was one of the, another reel with Jay Shetty talking about, you know, how like there's all these research and and people have gotten into like all the love languages, right? Learning how people receive love and give love. But Jay Shetty switched it and said, well, people need to know their fight language. Yeah. So like with you and your wife, right? Or ex-wife, sorry. Um, It's like, 
she wants to fight through passive aggressiveness and you want to fight through just tell me how it is right and so if you know not saying that that would have been you know the savior but it could have been better communication right like yeah having that open and you know it goes into vulnerability like being open and honest with each other and like hey like i really don't like it when you do this i don't like when you do that like it's that's one one layer of it right but then it gets deeper and like hey when i feel passive aggressiveness i shut down but at the same respect you have to go through that work she has to go through that work to in order for you to understand that's what your fight language is which i think what is so profound about that statement of learning fight languages it's like well now i have to learn how i fight to in, to, in order for me to to communicate that to somebody else right? well and to the to that point right at the end of that when she talked about why empaths never seem to feel good right yeah now we feel drained um to some degree, yeah, like there's a constant state of arousal, right? And that constant state of arousal is fight or flight, potentially even freeze, depending on how dangerous that situation feels. But yeah. I wonder if the solution to that issue is, to your point, is finding vulnerability and asking and communicating safety, right? So going back to your example of myself, like if I could find more control and more centeredness around how I need to communicate so that person hears me mm-hmm. so I can I can disarm my fight mechanism and just have an open dialogue mm-hmm. around vulnerability yeah. that allows me to create safety in an environment that may not feel safe, right? Yeah. And so when you start thinking about that from an empath perspective, like if I feel uncomfortable in a room because I feel bad energy mm-hmm. and I feel danger, how do I solve that problem? Because that is a heavy thing to weigh in your conscious right like we know that chronic upregulation shows all kinds of ways whether it be higher or quicker pain feedback whether it be increased core body temperature which leads to skin issues whether it be respiratory pattern issues whether it be down regulatory patterns around sleep like we can go on for days and oftentimes when i'm talking to patients about physical pain a lot of the conversation circles around those peripheral stimuluses, right? I had a gentleman the other day I was working with who's like, no, I sleep great. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, based on your respiratory pattern, I don't see how you do. Mm-hmm. First thing I asked him is, do you snore? His response was, actually, it's funny. You say that recently. I have started snoring. Great. Okay. So what is snoring, right? It's me breathing through my mouth, getting into my lungs, not getting into my diaphragm, meaning that I have less oxygen. I have oxygenation of the blood, meaning I have thicker blood. I have hormone profile associations with thicker blood. My heart's trying to create down regulation and it can't. Like it's dysregulation. Snoring yeah. is dysregulation. So he's not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there's no cellular regeneration and healing, right? And so that's not even like a, a, a normal problem for him. Like that's not even like a thing that he even knows he needs to fix. He literally was like, no, I sleep great. Mm-hmm. No, you're so used to feeling like shit, you think you sleep great, yeah. right? And so like when we start looking at the autonomic nervous system around people that are deemed quote unquote empaths, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a direct correlation to upregulation mm-hmm. because of the stress yeah. of trying to manage your surroundings, right? Yeah. And to simplify it, like thinking about a deer in the wild, if the deer in the wild was constantly under crisis and afraid that it was going to die by a tiger right and it's always assuming the worst 
and it never feels safe. Is the deer going to digest food? Is it going to drink? Is it going to sleep? No, like it's always going to have a problem. So to me, what I think about when I think about this response to feeling like shit, the immediate feedback loop around that is like, yeah, and honestly relatable, yeah. right? Um, someone who grew up in a poverty area, uh, in an abusive family, um, both physical and verbal, I check the room everywhere I go. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably a direct correlate to, you know, I've boxed for three years. I've done jiu-jitsu for a year. I wrestled a little bit. I was a professional power lifter. Like all of these things that are my identity are also around safety. Yeah. Because when I walk in a room, I don't necessarily feel like I'm in danger because I know I can protect myself. You know, having that same conversation with, say, a, a five-foot-tall woman who's 105 pounds she's going to walk into a room and never feel that way. Yeah. And there's nothing she can do to create that safety other than maybe carry a weapon or something along those lines, right? Yeah. And so these are the things that kind of stand out to me along this this pathway because like how do we create safety mm-hmm. for somebody who constantly feels like shit is an empath? Because yeah. I buy this. Like to me, this, this is like a less woo-woo and more of a direct correlate yeah. to staying hypervigilant with your nervous system. Right. Um, so I guess that's the question, right? Yeah. How do we create comfort in discomfort? And I think you nailed it with vulnerability and communication. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to do because they want it's to terrifying. stay in that safety. Right. But to, and it's ironic, right? Like to be safe, you have to be vulnerable. Right. Like that, that statement in and of itself is like, well, no, I don't want to do that. Well, that's to the point of like, Anybody who's ever had any sort of fight training, the only way you get better in fight training is to lose. Yeah. Which means, like, if I'm boxing, I have to get punched in the face to remind myself to protect myself, right? Yeah. So, you know, that statement in its own right, in terms of a, in terms of like a, like a metaphysical way, is true. But it's true in physical as well, right? Like, if you look at people that are very, very strong, they've suffered to become that strong. Yeah. Right. Like, so the reality is, is like. This is going to sound funny, but like we can circle all the way back to when we talked about polyvagal theory, right? An adaptation only happens in turn in the body when entropy is challenged. Yeah. So when energy is challenged, my body is forced to create adaptability around that, mm-hmm. right? So like my body doesn't have to learn until it has to learn. Yeah. And so I don't know if enough people have perspective around your point here of vulnerability, and I think that might be really important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think evaluation, right? Self-evaluation has to come first. Like like that guy who said, oh, I sleep well. It's like you could be living in that super high stress and super like on edge of like I got to protect myself and not even know it. Right. So it's like evaluating like throughout your day, do you feel safe? Right. Like And then why don't I? Yeah. Then the next the follow up becomes more important because mm-hmm. of if it's no, yeah. why don't I? And guys, ironically, if it's yes, why do I? Yeah. Right? Because I, I can why. I can apply that. Mm-hmm. Why I feel safe is as valuable as why I don't feel safe. Yeah. Because if you can draw perspective around why you feel safe, you can create adaptation on why you don't feel safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and I think you just start there, right? Like, do I feel safe when I go to work? Do I feel safe when I wake up? Do I feel safe when I go to sleep? 
Do I feel safe in my own house? Do I feel safe in somebody else's house? Do I feel safe when I go out? Like all those places, like just check the box, like yes or no and why for both, right? Because that'll give you the answer as to like keep doing that or don't keep doing that and figure out that solvency. Right. I think that's that's pretty much it, right? So control the basics. Control the basics and get to the root solution. I love that. that. (laughs) Kai, I think we hit that one pretty hard and I'm I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, Should I send him off? It's time for the joke. But now he's ready. He's ready. I see it in his eyes. The fire's there. I think I have told you this one, though. Uh, You've told me all of them, I'm assuming. Uh, But what did the horse say? When he fell. What? Help me, I can't giddy up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to end there for sure. Uh, this is Noah Drew at Root.Solution. This is Dad Joe Kai at Control the Basics. You should just change the name to Dad Joe Kai. It's not the oh, worst name in the world. Oh, my goodness. Guys, thank you as always for listening. We look forward to catching you guys next week. Take yeah, care. See you guys.